Comic timing is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network, Network bitch. <laughs> Print it. Hey there, folks. My name's Ian Levinstein, and welcome to episode 183 of Comic Timing. You get the pre-recorded introduction treatment here yet again, as we're not quite back to the Skype setup, but we're getting closer, getting a little bit closer, because as I mentioned on episode 182, we have one more bit of recording that was done New York Comic Con weekend for your guys' listening pleasure. And this one was done with Comfort Love and Adam Withers at the old apartment, along with Chris and myself, as we discuss the state of conventions and actors attending conventions. As of late, actors and actresses have been increasing the amount of money that they request from conventions in order to attend them. And it's it's bringing the price of cons up in general. Uh, it's changing the state of conventions for not only artists and writers, but for attendees as well. Uh, Because obviously, uh, if you wind up having to pay the famous people, the quote unquote famous people more to attend, then everything else is going to have to compensate one way or the other. Comfort and Adam certainly would be affected by that as would all us normal plebes who were just attending the convention. We talk about that. We also talk about uh, what it was like for Comfort and Adam as they were first getting their feet in the door as independent creators who do superheroes. Because there, there, there really aren't a lot of those. There, there might be a little bit more now than there were, say, uh, when they started uh, back in the back in their early days. But uh, it, it's hard to, to break into that crowd as, as a lot of independent uh, creators are trying to get away from superheroes. And that's not what Comfort and Adam have ever really been about. I mean, Rainbow in the Dark was a little bit of a deviation, but here they are back with the Uniques and they're putting their own stamp on the superhero world. That's not what every single uh, indie creator wants to do, and you know that's that's fine and all, but it, it left them sort of out of uh, the the indie scene, as it were, more of the artiste level of indie creators. That, that's that's not their speed, and we get into that in this conversation a decent amount. I I I really enjoyed what was done in this episode, and you know what, we're, we're not really negative about where conventions are going. It's a very constructive conversation. Uh, I mean, there's criticism, because obviously, uh, what's the point of even talking about this if you're nothing but glowingly positive about where the state of conventions are at the moment? But, you know, we, we do give our ideas of, of where it should go, where it will go, and what came before, uh, even touching on writers and how they will be able to survive in a convention world because writers don't really have a lot to hawk at a convention. We talk about whether or not it's cool for comic book creators to be charging for autographs the way that actors and actresses do because, you know, you got to make your money somehow. A whole lot of conversation like that. You guys will freaking love this episode. I was very, very happy to have a sit down with Comfort and Adam because it's been quite a while where we've done that in person. I think actually, if I remember correctly, the last time we did it might have been at Emerald City back back in my short time on the West Coast. 
we we went back to their hotel room and had a had a sit down uh, in person conversation. I mean, we've had a few Skype ones, but it's it, it's nice to to change things up a little bit. I, I will point out there's a couple of mic switches, and uh, you will hear the uh, the sketching noise in the background. So it's like you're sitting there in the room with us as we experience this casual conversation about comic books. Definitely enjoy that. Uh, we we are in November now. So technically, pre-orders are done for the Uniques Volume 2 Painted Black. However, uh, you you should still try and see if you can go to your local comic shop if you have not done so yet and pre-order that. It will be available on Amazon eventually. I'm not sure when, but uh, you know when that link is up, I will certainly share that with you people. Uh, I know that the places like Forbidden Planet, if you live in the UK, are still offering that uh, as, as an option. But I, I don't know how much longer that's going to be. I mean, as I'm recording this right now, DCBS hasn't updated their site for November yet, but it's going to happen any minute. So I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't trust that as an option. You can, however, put late orders in with DCBS. So if you go there and you select their Excel order sheet, you might still be able to pre-order uh, Volume 2 after the fact. You can give that a shot if you really want to, but uh, all those issues are going to be available on Comixology and other digital storefronts, all for 99 cents a piece. Uh, the Unique's number five is currently out as I'm doing this here. Uh, that was released back on October 19th, and uh, the rest of those issues are to come. Definitely give them a read and support Comfort and Adam. And all of their uh, their information is is in the back of this episode, like it usually is. And I do an outro for an episode at the at the end, so this is the last you're going to hear from me on this call. I will mention uh, as I'm recording this tomorrow, I'm actually sitting down with the Comic Geek Speak boys, and I will be a part of uh, two episodes that they're going to be recording this upcoming Friday, uh, one that's been in the works for quite some time. I suggested a top five to them forever ago, and we're finally going to sit down and record that, and I believe the other one's just going to be a casual comic talk. So those of you who listen to Comic Geek Speak over the next couple of weeks, you'll be hearing my dulcet tones. I'm not sure when those episodes will be out, but go ahead and check their website at comicgeekspeak.com within the next week or so, and you will find them there. And speaking of DCBS, just a quick plug uh, that, you know, as usual, we're sponsored by DCBS Discount Comic Book Service at DCBService.com, where you can find 40% off of all major publishers, DC, Marvel, Image, and Dark Horse, and 50% off of DC and Marvel trades and hardcovers, and a whole bunch of bundles. Like I said, at this particular moment, they haven't actually updated their site for next month, but I almost guarantee you there will be continued all new, all different whatever they're calling Marvel now this time around. I think it might just be called Marvel now again. Who the hell knows? And uh, a whole bunch of the DC Rebirth stuff is still discounted as well. And there's there's always some other random 50% off bundles thrown in there as well that you can go to DCBS to enjoy. And if you're going to Comixology, for instance, if you're going to wind up buying the Uniques digitally, you can go through the Comixology storefront and get a little bit of a kickback on your next DCBS order by doing so. And you can find that at their website, dcbservice.com. We thank you for your support and for checking them out. So yeah, go ahead and uh, listen to this episode, and I will talk to you guys probably in another week or two for a Skype recording. Back in the saddle on that. Enjoy the conversation, and uh, yeah, uh, you're going to hear me talk 
on this exact same recorder in about three seconds. I need photos! Photos of Spider-Man! This is a poetry journal. Okay, then poems about Spider-Man. And I want them finished before you start. And before you finish, give me some coffee. And the poem should have the following rhyme scheme. A-B-B-A-A-B-B-A-C-D-E-C-D-E. What are you waiting for, Chinese New Year? So we will begin. It is Thursday. It is Thursday of New York Comic Con weekend. Yay. Four days. Yay. Yay. So much coming. Yeah. Adam and Comforter here. Hey. Yay. You guys aren't entirely exhausted yet, but you will be. Check back immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Check back in like 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as four day shows, you don't really feel how bad it is until Saturday. Mm hmm. When your brain thinks that when the show's over today, I can go home. Yeah. And then you realize you've got a whole other day left. (laughs) God damn it! Yeah. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in for one more day. Four-day shows shows are awesome for everybody except for the people who have to work them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's added content for everybody but the people who have to be behind the table. When I hear somebody say, oh, they could do another day. There's so much to do. I could do five. I want to slap them (laughs) in the face. You want to slap me in the face. It's funny. Well, I already wanted to do that. Well, that's true. Right. You've known me long enough for that. General faceness. That's, that's, (laughs) I do have a very slappable face. They should patent that. I was going to say, to be fair, we are exhausted because we just finished work on a big deadline for Unique's Volume 2, but that killed us, and now we're at New York Comic Con. Yeah. So it's like a double murder going on our exhaustion levels. Here's what's smart. Let's head into the most exhausting show of the year by spending weeks going to bed at four in the morning. And getting up or at ten. Later. I must say that is the most genius plan I've ever heard. Oh, it's so stupider well like a fox. <laughs> <laughs> well, the main the main reason why I have you guys on mic here is actually a uh, article that Chris brought to our attention not too long ago. Hi, Chris. I'm tired too, but that's because I had to go to the show and then down to the village to my office and then back up to the show and then we walked to Penn Station. Yes. And I have to go to work tomorrow, too. Yay. You also tried to live Facebook, and that didn't work out. Yeah, so uh, the Javits is an evil hole that absorbs all cell phone signals and Wi-Fi. Yeah, don't don't try to communicate with other humans when you're inside the Javits Center. It's just not happening. So I didn't bring it to your attention so much. It was a friend of ours, Jill, who posted it on Twitter and on Facebook. And it was the, yeah, the Hollywood Reporter was talking about the new trend at cons, specifically the big comic cons, that they get all these guests like Stephen Amell, John Barrowman, you know, they'll get Matt Smith maybe, you know, I don't know. I, I don't keep track of this stuff. Ever, like, there was a one weekend where William Shatner appeared at, like, four different cons. That was not too long ago. Like, he was at, like, Salt Lake City Con, and then, like, uh, like the next day, I think he was, he was at some other con. And it, was, he, it, was, it, it, was, it was Labor Day weekend. He was at Salt Lake City Con. Yeah. He was at, I believe, Dragon Con, and he was at Mission New York. That's what it was. Okay. Oh, uh, actually, yeah, four cons, because then whatever, Toronto? Oh, my God. I think it was Fan Fest. <laughs> So, yeah, apparently there's this new 
I mean, I guess I would say trend where celebrities actually want to go to conventions because they get paid big money to do them. And then they, on top of that, they charge autograph fees or photo fees. So they rake in way more money at one show than they might rake in for an episode of the thing they're famous for or even the whole season. Like I, I know Jewel State was quoted in there that she's pregnant so she can't actually act but she can go to cons and be Kaylee. Yeah, and that's part of it too. Like, I mean, for years now, uh, actors have been able to go to conventions as a source of extra income on top of the fact that their, you know, their show is either no longer on the air or they're just, you know, not getting the acting jobs that they would hope wish to be getting, and they're still making money. But this is this is this is a that sort of that to an extreme. I, I'll tell you the thing that makes me nervous mm-hmm. is. Uh, how long it is before the money that runs these television shows and movies and genre entertainment, the money behind them starts realizing that, hey, if these actors are going to make all this money at conventions, yeah. I don't have to pay them a real wage to be in my production Ooh. because we can just promise them making money hand over fist. Oh, well, you're not going to get paid a lot for this gig. Yeah. But if you do it, then the whole convention scene opens up. Right. Those people are always looking for an excuse to pay people less money by offering, you know, bullshit perks on the side yeah. that really have nothing to do with the work that they're doing. <laughs> so essentially the star, the Star Treks and Star Wars and like Marvel movies well, of the genre could very well wind up paying a lot it was, less. It was already addressed in the article that a lot of agents are telling their clients like, yeah, do this because you'll get all those appearance fees. I was going to say it's the equivalent of we'll offer you stock if you work at our startup for peanuts. Oh, God. There's multiple worries there because on on the on the one hand, yeah, you do you do see the worry that actors will wind up even more stuck into the roles that they once had. I mean, like William Shatner for years, if you went to one side, he'd be Kirk, and on the other side, he'd be T.J. Hooker, and that's it. Now I'm worried that these actors will be even more stuck in their roles as the sci-fi actor. You know, that guy who was in that one thing that one time, and I, I don't actually think that's a problem. Like that stigma, people aren't worried about that stigma anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, you think of Patrick Stewart, big Shakespearean actor. You know, he did Star Trek The Next Generation without realizing what a commitment it was. You know, he had said in the early years, he's like, if I had known this was going to be this much work and it was going to be this kind of thing, it was going to go on this long, I wouldn't have done it. But now I'm sure if you approach him, he'd probably say he's glad he did it. I was just having this conversation with Mike earlier today that uh, it was a conversation that Patrick Stewart had with the crew in season two that lightened him up. He was weirded out by the fact that in the United States, there's a completely different work ethic when it comes to, you know, being in television than he was used to from, you know, from Shakespeare and acting in in, in England. And they were taking things a lot less serious than he was until eventually, I think it was Frakes who told him, lighten up a little. And he sort of adjusted the way he, he acts to the U.S. way. And, like, we very well might not, have, might not have gotten Patrick Stewart and say, like, American Dad had he not learned to lighten up a little. Well, I think you get years of... I mean, you talk about typecasting and people getting worried about typecasting. And yeah. clearly, Patrick Stewart was in danger of that the entire time. I think the smartest thing he ever did with his career was to be Professor X in the X-Men movies. Yeah. It's like you take one nerdy thing, you add another nerdy thing, and they cancel each other out. Right. Yeah, like, I'm not... I don't think people are worried about being typecast anymore. Mm-hmm. Because it, going back to the, the reporter article, 
one of the things they mentioned is that it used to be a stigma to appear at shows. Like you were you were at the bottom of the barrel. Your career completely dropped out if you were appearing at shows. Yeah. You were Virgil. Yeah, you I, know. I, yeah. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you were sad Virgil Blue sitting Freak, there. No. God. I, I remember once we were in Coney Island. And the, the, I don't know what was going on that day, but for some reason, Virgil was set up oh, at wow. a table, and it was the saddest thing, because there he was, and there no one was. Isn't it one of those, like, Murphy's Law things, where if you leave a six-foot folding table <laughs> unoccupied long enough, Virgil, Virgil appears? With a misspelled Ted DiBiase. Uh, oh, <laughs> you know who I saw on the floor? Ted DiBiase. Ted DiBiase. Yep, yes. so did I. Yeah, both Jimmy Hart and Ted DiBiase are set up on the floor. Everybody got a price Ian <laughs> everybody gonna pay money 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 um, related to what you're talking about comfort and I mm-hmm. were talking a while ago about how ubiquitous genre entertainment has become mm-hmm. um, that it's only a matter of time before every significant actor in Hollywood has been in a Marvel production right because they just they need parts filled yeah and they rake in money, and it's the biggest game in town. I know where so he's laughing. It loses the it loses the stigma just by virtue of how accepted it has become by mm-hmm. mainstream right. audiences, mainstream fandom. Um, so why not be in? If you're going to be in an action movie, if you're yeah. going to say yes to an action movie, you're going to wind up in a comic movie relatively soon. There's yeah. no way around it. Right. Yeah. Uh, what I would say is just to go back to the actual thing of how this affects cons is you have to ask sometimes how much money is going towards the budget of any given convention and stuff, and then how does that affect the rest of the show, and then how does that play into the general overall structure for what cons are becoming, which right. is no longer necessarily things that are comic-based, but now general media-based, and then... The difficulty is that fandom and media and stuff is getting so big and diffuse. How long does this even last until even the media is generally unrecognizable to general public because most people have their things that they like, but that doesn't mean that it's a pop culture thing as pop culture continues to disintegrate. So. Right. Yeah. Ideas. The, the, the thing, the thing that I was laughing out in my head. I was actually just thinking of the Bruce Greenwood, Peter Peter Weller panel that we were at at Star oh, Trek. At, at Star Trek, yeah. How like, uh, you know, Bruce Bruce Greenwood and Peter Weller are there, and a question comes up uh, about you know Bruce Greenwood playing Batman, like he had, like he did in Young Justice and a couple of the uh, the animated movies, right. and Peter Weller's sitting there thinking the entire time, wait a minute, he was Batman, I'm Batman. No, no, no. <laughs> it was the way he says, "What the fuck." Yeah. That's what Peter Weller said. Yeah. What the fuck? Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, he was Batman in the in the Dark Knight Returns yeah. movies. Yeah. And he had no idea he was sitting on stage with another Batman. Well, talking about cost, because that was the biggest thing that came up in our discussions of this earlier. Sorry, podcast listeners. You missed. <laughs> well, we'll repeat all of this for you. That. So you have these cons putting out these huge outlays of cash for the show. Mm-hmm for the guest at the show and then as a response the cost of getting into the show is very expensive like you've complained repeatedly about paying $80 yeah. to get into Mission New York yeah. and mind you I paid $80 for one day 
I paid $80 for a Saturday badge to Star Trek Mission New York. And I know exactly why it was $80. It was $80 because I had to pay all of the Star Trek people to show up on top of the fact that they were also doing autographs. And for people who were going to get autographs, I'm sure they were perfectly okay with the fact that they were spending $80 to go get autographs from all these people, which we were, which they were then spending even more money yeah. to get autographs it's from. It's basically an $80 ticket to stand in line all day. Absolutely. Yeah, and there were so many people that were doing that. None of the panels we were at were really like all the way full except for the Discovery panel because I think yeah. more people were online for autographs than they were for, for panels to see these people. Yeah, the thing is like, I mean, I feel like this is the bigger issue with it is that cons now feel like we have to have these big ticket names we can't just have one or two which as was tradition in the past it has to be this all-star lineup you talk about media being diffuse that's part of it is that we have to have 30 guests because we need to hit as many points as possible and that's a huge cash outlay like that was the part of the thing with mission new york is like it's the anniversary con so we yeah. want to get the cast of d Space nine you know the cast of voyager we want people from Inter- we want people from every single show yeah. and that's not cheap at all and i was a little angry like i'm like yeah star trek fans you've ruined everything because you spend so much money on cons yeah and that's honestly that's what i'm worried about a four-day badge for new york comic-con as of this year as of the day that we're recording this was 110 dollars for a four-day badge which is reasonable for the most part that's reasonable yeah i mean you're getting a little bit of a savings for the fact that it's four days but it's basically i think it's like 50 50 Forty forty, if I remember correctly. Otherwise, which again is still not that bad. That means that a family can go to New York Comic Con, and I always have to think of you know if you're a family of four, how affordable is this trip? And I, I think you never want to be something that becomes exclusive to just the Uber fan. You want to be inclusive to all those people who are like, yeah, but I still have to pay for school supplies tomorrow. Right. You know, I still have to pay for enough food for everybody to continue. So, you know, not just uber rich families, yeah. not just super fans. What is your general middle class family? What can they really afford to come have a fun day at the show? I mean, none of us in the room are parents, so, you know, I apologize if I'm being presumptuous here, but what are we teaching kids when we're taking a huge chunk of money and paying for access to celebrities? Mm. I can take like a 40 year old guy, you know, who just like really loves Walking Dead or Star Trek, you know, and doesn't have a family. Like somehow that bothers me less than the idea of parents spending this huge chunk of money so we can stand in line, take a photo with somebody who will not remember your name five minutes later. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't expect them to. They're human. You know, I'm always shocked when like a celebrity is like, I've seen you before. I'm like, what? (laughs) Like that's actually the greatest feeling in the world, but that's rare. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, well, that means that you either said something to them which which clicked or you just have that look you know you have you have a a unique look that sticks out in the crowd the question remains and yeah i mean going with what with what comfort said if it gets to the point where you're spending as much money on a con as you would to say go to an amusement park yes yeah that's when things are getting dangerous, you know, like like a, a day at Six Flags Great Adventure or something is, is less expensive than going to New York Comic Con. Well, and how much does that trickle down to other aspects of the convention? What impact does that have on Artist Alley right. when yeah. raising table rates is something? I mean, the right. cost of a table at New York for Artist Alley is $600. Yeah. That's a hefty chunk of change. Now, you certainly have access to a tremendous amount of people and a great ability to make that back and then some, by far. But 
if the people going to the show are tapped out spending money on autographs, are because that's primarily on, what they're there for. Yeah, are they going to spend money on books and stuff like that? If yeah. the people are primarily there for celebrities and they don't wind up getting to see those celebrities because the lines are too long, mm-hmm. I know that there's a lot of negativity starts swirling around San Diego yeah. because half the people who came, everybody came for the same one or two or three reasons. Right. Half the people there didn't get to accomplish that goal. Yeah. I mean, the the year we went to San Diego was the year somebody got stabbed in the eye with a pen <laughs> because he wouldn't give up his seat. And that story has stuck with me ever since. Oh, yeah. People are here for an extremely limited number of seats. Right. And that, in some cases, is the only thing they're there for. Yeah. And this is the year where they're introducing panels at uh, the theater at Madison Square Garden, which is where they're holding stuff like The Walking Dead and yeah. things like that. And even though New York Comic Con has said, you know, we encourage you, we this is their exact words, we encourage you not to line up a day beforehand for this panel. However, we can't stop you from doing I, that. I'm actually curious how many people are going to go to The Walking Dead panel because the capacity of the theater at Madison Square Garden is in the thousands. Yeah. I'm like, how many thousands of people want to go see that instead of, all of the other things at the con. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, no, it's 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 a really good question, and I, I'll be curious to see, you know, what it looks like because they're going to be, you know, filming this panel and things. Like, you might actually be able to like get a decent idea of how many people are there because the theater, yeah, it does hold a really large amount of people. So we're talking about like trickle down effect. I mean, yeah, there's the fact that it could affect a lot of the the booths and the artists, and they're making less money. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I wonder, like, is that really going to be a big deal for a lot of attendees? Like, how many attendees go for the floor right. at all? Like, I mean, we, our friend Anna definitely went. Like, she said, she told you she went to shop. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I, I think people are like, yeah, I can't wait to see blank, blank, and blank. And it gets away from what I always felt like conventions were supposed to be. Like, this this sounds like old man grumbling at this point. <laughs> but a, but the idea of a convention was created, like, to meet other like-minded people. Right. And the guests just were kind of a perk. Like, you look back at the first Worldcon, and it was really just a bunch of freaking sci-fi nerds who just wanted to hang out. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the things that uh, that I, I enjoyed as much as I did about, you know, say, for example, I mean, you know, where, where we first, you know, started meeting and stuff like that, you know, stuff like MechaCon at first, and then, you know, moving on to Super Show and things along those lines, is that it was like-minded people getting together to hang out, and there happened to be a con going on. You know, that sort of thing. Sure. And, that, and I feel like that's less and less these days. And and the cons that try to focus on comics exclusively mm-hmm. struggle yeah. and, and wither on the vine. You, yeah. you can't make it. There's a number of shows I know of that have tried hard and showrunners set out with the exact purpose, the express purpose. This is going to be a comic show about comics. Right. Comic creators and and this medium that we love. Yeah. And we're not going to make it about old wrestlers and 80s TV <laughs> stars. We're just going to do the books. You mean, you're, you mean you're, that you're not going to make it a wizard show? It used yeah. to be about the music. Yeah. <laughs> right? But... It doesn't. It doesn't work. They have a yeah. really hard time getting off the ground because that's what people expect right. now. That's what the average con goer is looking for. And if they have multiple shows in a marketplace and yeah. they can choose to go to the one where I can meet Daryl from Walking Dead, yeah. or I can go to the one about something I don't really know anything about, starring people I've never heard of doing right. a thing I'm not even sure I care about. When is that show? I want to go to it. Yeah, yeah. you've been there, Ian. <laughs> 
No, and it, and it is. It's fun for us. And this is something Comfort talks about all the time oh, is, yeah. you know, for every thousand people who come to these shows, maybe a dozen of them are actually reading the comics. You're right. Yeah. And how many of them would still go if it was just about the comics? The thing that is the most beneficial to us as creators mm-hmm. is that you've got people coming in who are interested in the idea of comics, yeah. sort of. Right. Because I like the movies, I like the TV, and your pictures are pretty. Sure. I'm, I, you know, what do you got, kid? Oh. Right. But at a certain point, does it become difficult for us to get their attention? Does it become difficult mm. for us to compete? Does it become difficult to stand above it's already had a a depressing influence on some of these old classic great creators who are used to being able to charge a certain premium for their name right well to anybody under 35 40 years old that name doesn't mean anything i I would say though very quickly this is a thing that has to do as much with how Poorly, comics really sell themselves as anything. Mm-hmm. Like right now, we've all been enjoying the wonderful fruits of these amazing conventions. But while we're here, was there anything really from Comixology to be like, here, you can go with this item code mm-hmm. to go get four free comics. Right. They've got their you know, banners everywhere. Exactly. But-, but that doesn't mean anything. You have mm-hmm. to find a way to make this the spinner rack yeah. that was there at the drugstore when you were a kid. Well, I remember too, I mean, this this wasn't this year, but in, in the first year that they had RFID at New York Comic Con, you activated your badge and you immediately got like 10 free comics on Comixology. Yeah. Yeah. Like that that was a deal. Like they gave you a code and you were able to then use that to to do that. That was the one year it happened. It hasn't happened since. Um, and you're supposed to get quote unquote perks with that registration and I've, I've yet to really experience any I, of that. I mean, the thing is, uh, I'm very skeptical with the idea like, well, if only people would read more comics, if only we could put them in front of them. And But there's always going to be that contingent of people who are just going to refuse it. I'm thinking of the contrast between, say, like my mom mm-hmm. and my brother. They both like Game of Thrones. And my mom actually read the first book and my brother, I think, is reading the books now and he's not a reader. Like, I used to have to pull his t- like torture him to get him the readings kid now he's actually actively into it but they are like they're interested in this show and they want to learn more so they want to go read more books meanwhile like and my mom also watches walking dead she doesn't read the comic but she's actually okay where she is and i'm i, I won't begrudge her that yeah. meanwhile my cousin you know if you're listening to this i doubt you are but if you are i do love you But we will have words at some point. He loves The Walking Dead, and he wants to know more. And what does he do? He doesn't go read a comic. He reads the Wikipedia page Mm -hmm. and then spends an hour talking about all the things he learned from Wikipedia about Negan. And I'm like, yeah, I know all this because I actually read the comics. It was a much better experience than reading a freaking Wikipedia page. Kirkman is a much better writer than random Wikipedia guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Walking Dead fan 973 doesn't get nearly as much as, you know, Robert Kirkman himself gets. Yeah. I mostly just feel pity for anybody who denies themselves the sheer unfettered joy of reading a Negan monologue in print. <laughs> That's probably some of the best fun I have ever had reading comics in yeah. a lifetime yeah. of reading. I know. Nobody has ever had more fun writing anything than Kirkman had writing Negan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it's came true. out in every bubble. I, the interesting thing for me is how I'm not necessarily worried about any of this. Mm-hmm. 
It's definitely a sign of changing times. I don't know that this is something to be afraid of. Yeah. I, I mentioned the flattening of the field earlier, that the big names and the little guys are effectively identical mm-hmm. to an average person walking the aisles Absolutely. Now. I think that can be a good thing. Yeah. I think that it's nice to have this idealistic hope that maybe whoever has the most appealing work is the person who gets the dollars. Yeah. Maybe the person who is producing something that actually speaks immediately to this audience of yeah. new people. Maybe they're the ones who are getting the reward. I don't know if that's the case. We're past the era of people knowing people because they were in gene commercials. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. But, but really, artists and writers who could coast on, I did a great book 20 years ago, uh, Money Please. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing there's nothing inherently wrong with that, yeah. you know. Some people have a greatest hits uh, collection in their history that is just astounding, mm-hmm. um, that deserves renown. But at the same time, new people deserve a chance too. New creators deserve a chance too. I, I think, I don't know. I, I I've always felt like if you can't compete in the marketplace, it's not a good sign that you want to blame the marketplace first. We'll see. And, and actually that, that brings me to another, another point that I can bring up along the lines of, you know, people, uh, you know, actors charging for autographs. We've seen a recent trend of creators charging for autographs. Um, luck. yeah, I know, which, which is sure. If, if you're a more well-known person, like, like you were just talking about, you know, not many people know the difference between the, uh, the more well-known and the lesser well-known of the, you know, the comic book creators, but there's more and more people that are trying to charge. I, yeah, no, I'm very much against that. I feel like if you're charging, you should be doing it because you're trying to limit the crowds. Mm -hmm. And in that case, I feel better if the money goes to charity. Because you're like famous enough, you if you're getting if you need to charge or you can charge, you can get away with it. You're probably already making good bank on your work itself. (laughs) Like if you're that level, and I don't know, it just makes me uncomfortable. I mean, people can say I got to make a living, I got to eat, and I get that, but it's just it just makes me. I mean, in general, charging for autographs just makes it go. Yeah, I am okay with it if it does stop people from bringing 300 issues of Spider-Man to a creator and being yeah. like, sign all of these. Yeah, that that's always one of those... It's tough to know what to feel about that, because on the one hand, as a creator, it's amazing if somebody is that into your stuff. Yeah. On the other hand, you see the line behind that guy mm-hmm. and how many people aren't going to get to have their autograph or sure. shake a hand or yeah. get a photo because I, I, this guy's got to get his long box signed. Absolutely. That's why I don't have a Fabian as autograph because I walked up to the table. I was like, oh, maybe I'll buy something and have him sign it. And there was a guy getting a long box signed. Oh, no. I was like, oh, no. I, I just turned around. I'm just like flipped around. Right around and walked away. Well, you know what? I don't need a Fabian Nicieza autograph. He just comments on my Facebook posts. Oh, <laughs> name dropped. <laughs> dropped. Uh huh. I, I I do wonder where conventions are going to wind up going for the creators in the future. And, and I'm, I'm talking specifically writers here yes. because artists will always have something to to hawk in an artist alley. I was going to bring the same thing up. Uh, It is very difficult for writers to make money because they're just selling books but if all of your books like this is the thing that robert kirkman like ran into in i think around 2008 2007 Mm -hmm. so his books start coming out 
And he sells a fair bit of them, but not enough people really know them. So every time he goes to the show, he's still selling just tons and tons of books. So he's making money this way. Uh, But I remember the show where he had got himself a ton of books, but everybody had already bought them. So Mm -hmm. all he was doing was signing. So he had to just give away his books at the end. It was really sad. We've We've got writers who are friends who are like, I'm trying to sell books at my table, but there's booths just a few feet away that are selling them at huge discounts. I felt the same way. Like, I went to the Image booth today, and I, I was thinking maybe I'll buy a couple of volumes of Outcast because I haven't actually read that yet, and I've seen, I've heard good things about it, and, you know, there's, there's a show now. Andre and Big Boy can drop some fucking rhymes, yeah. man. <laughs> not, not, not that one. I don't, I don't um, yeah, yeah, Damn it. yeah. Close, though. I uh, wanted them to have a comment so bad. <laughs> so bad. But, uh... I know that there's that there are booths on the floor that are selling the exact same trades for five bucks a piece, as opposed to the you know eight or nine and sometimes thirteen that yeah. Image is, is charging for volumes one, two, and three. Sure, you know, like volume one is always cheap at Image. That's what I love about them. But if I can even save three more dollars, of course I'm going to. Who's do not it. going to? Yeah. And, you know, when we're talking about how expensive it is to get in, yeah. how expensive it is to get these autographs, how expensive it is to do the top tier things that are drawing the most people. After that, they're looking at pinching every penny they possibly can. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you guys are pretty good about this, but you know, when I go into an artist alley and I get those artists who are like, "Yes, I'm, I'm going to charge twenty dollars for my ten-page comic about my life in the East Village," and I'm kind of like, whether or not that's good, it is not worth what you are charging for it. And you know, they'll be like, "I put so much work into it," and I'm like, "Yeah, but I work for my money too. You have to respect my time." Yeah. And I definitely, we were comment. I was commenting on this with Ian earlier tonight. Is that a lot of artists seem to be more respectful of that now? Yeah. Like I no longer see people charging these exorbitant rates for their books. They're actually discounting it just a little. Yeah. Like I don't need it to be a huge, you know, Amazon s discount. Just a little bit, just to acknowledge the fact that I'm like. We're not going through a middleman here. Deals. People love deals. Yeah. yeah. And that's the difference between FlameCon and Mocha. Oh, <laughs> like, oh, like, like we, we went to FlameCon. Uh, I haven't talked about this on the show yet, so I might as well talk about it a little bit yeah. here. FlameCon was a fantastic show. Um, it, was, it was one of the most inviting, small-time conventions yeah, that, just, I, that I've been to. Just for people who are not familiar with this because you're that's not your scene or you're not from new york flame con is a queer convention queer comic con so it is queer creators queer themed books there i mean there is there's no exclusion and there's not going to be a test at the door to make sure you're queer enough ian was there Ian was fine i did have to remind ian to be a little more mindful of his surroundings because as i keep telling everyone about this con i was like this is a con where people would bump into me and apologize Mm -hmm. like everyone's just so hyper aware of like each other's space there happens at new york comic con but it was like it was remarkably chill like everyone people had their books to promote and they were just like really happy to talk about it the books like they were just exciting to look at like the art was really nice uh high quality stuff again like we talk about mocha and i talk about like the fart sniffers with the the 10 page like photocopied Mm. thing and they're char yeah, they're charging a fortune for it. And meanwhile I'm at FlameCon. I bought like four professionally printed books. They yeah. cost me no more than twenty bucks. Most of them were Kickstarters. It's the great thing about Kickstarters now is that people can fund these books and then sell their runoffs with them. 
there's a lot less of. I am going to create an autobiographical comic made entirely on biodegradable paper, which is 15 pages long, double-sided, and uh, I'm going to charge $35 because it spent a, I spent a lot of money on this, and please love me. I think the important qualifier of that run-on glory that you had was less. Yeah. Not none. <laughs> yeah. It's never going to be none of them. Uh-huh. There will always be somebody but, smelling their own farts. Yeah. But less. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, the indie scene is an interesting one and yeah. it's it's changed a lot in the You've watched it change. We have. Yeah. We've been in this almost 10 years now. Yeah. Um we started putting comics out in 2008. And when we started doing comics, we were self-publishing. We were as straight-up garage as it gets. But we couldn't go to those shows. Yeah. Because we'd go to those shows and everybody would look down their nose at us for being too slick and professional. Yeah, because you were doing superhero comics. Well, it's well, not even the content, the style. Okay, that too, yeah. The style of printing, the right. style of art. Uh, you could look at our figures and they looked like people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was attractive to look at. There was color there. There was a lot of things that... Production value. What indie books should be in those well, people's yeah, minds. You weren't, you weren't creating ash cans. You I'm not know, even, like, even going to say what should or shouldn't. But we were doing a lot of what a number of prominent indie creators would be reacting against. Right. And so we had no home there. The mm-hmm. people who would want to go to those kinds of conventions wouldn't want what we had. Right. At the same time, we'd go to the big shows, the major shows, the mainstream stuff, and we were way too indie to get any attention sure. in the beginning. I mean, yeah. you know, we stuck it out over time. But this, this is the thing that indie creators have to learn. And as this changing face of conventions continues, I think yeah. this is a truism that will remain you are not going to get paid what your time is worth. Right. That means you guys in 08 or, or 09. I'm trying 08. to remember. I think it was 08. 08. Okay. I think yeah. the very wow. first year. That, God damn. Uh, was it Pittsburgh? That no, was Mega. No, 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 Mega. Mega, right. Yeah. Mega uh-huh. yeah. 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 yeah, no, I've never been to Pittsburgh. I'd like to someday because it's a foodie con. But. Yeah. No, we, we yeah. debuted at that show. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. We go way back. That's... You were Time there. flies, man. You were there from the moment the needle dropped. I was Aww. there. I was there with Casina at that... Dinner oh, with the so CGSers. We ranted about Greenland. And yep. We had us a time. <laughs> Bonding over Kyle Rayner like usual. I think Look. you need to drop. Okay, so I, I have I have a fart smelling comment. Because yeah. I, I thought smelling. Oh I thought I thought I was super smart for coming up with this. And we've been kind of dancing around the fact like we've been talking about how there are these huge mega shows like New York Comic Con San Diego. And they're dropping tons of money to get all these guests. So they're they're high ticket events. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's shows like FlameCon, which is very small and intimate, and they don't have, like, huge stars. They have – if you're into comics, they have names you would recognize, like Chris Anka and, you know, and and Kevin Wada were there and a bunch of of other people. It was great. I think even though Chris Claremont even did a panel on, what, Sunday, was it, or something like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember being like, oh, maybe I should have bought tickets for the next day. But going on to – yeah, so you have these, like, small boutique shows. Like, even, yeah, the fart-smelling indie shows. You know, they're going to be fine. Like, in New York City, we're still going to have Mocha. Oh, yeah. You know, even if uh, King Con and some of those other shows have fallen to the side, we're still going to have show. At least at the minimum, we're going to have Mocha, yeah. and we'll have Flame Con because it was pretty packed yeah. from what we saw. Random Brooklyn shows, yeah. too. Like I think there's always going to be a place for when people are just want to nerd out with a few hundred or thousand other people about one particular thing. Mm-hmm. Like 
as long as you keep your ambitions low, those shows can continue to move on. And then, and the big shows are just going to keep doing their thing. Yeah. I think the biggest issue now is that when it's a mid-tier show, yeah. like the more regional cons, mm-hmm. they're getting priced out because people are going to expect those big stars because yeah. that might be the only con they have all year. Yeah. And they're going to want those big stars. Absolutely. What I'm going to say, this is, this is my fart smelling yeah. comment. Yeah. The middle class of cons is shrinking. Oh. <laughs> oh. Drop the mic! No, unquestionably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. this is something that's... Been- I don't want to drop the mic. This was expensive. Yeah. Yeah. This has been coming for a while. We've been watching this happen in droves. Is the middle of the, the middle tier comic cons, they're either... They either get big enough that they get bought out by the giant ones. Emerald City. Wizard World. Yeah. Wizard um, World, but also guys like Emerald City. I mean, Reed, Emerald yeah, City. Reed has bought a few, yeah. but they're not nearly as yeah. greedy as Wizard World gets. Fan Expo has bought a bunch of cons over yeah. the past couple Fan of years. It, yeah, so yeah. they get big enough and popular enough that they get bought out yeah. and brought into some larger corporate family. Mm-hmm. Or else... They don't, and they fail, and they burn out, and they can't keep yeah. going. The little there will always be popcorn shows. The yeah. guys who show up, they make a go of it. They right. last a few years, they die, yeah. and then new ones come to take their place. It's finding a way to get up to that level where you aren't New York Comic Con, mm-hmm. but you aren't in somebody's basement either. I am still fascinated, beyond fascinated. That Salt Lake City Comic Con is now the second biggest convention in the country. The Dickens, you say? Yeah, I I don't quite understand it. I mean, I, I guess I guess it is part of a country that really didn't have that many you know large cons to to go to. Uh, maybe maybe it's also the time of year it happens. Like maybe there's enough people that are willing to spend the money to go there as opposed to like one of the smaller cons or something. It's just we're talking about Salt Lake City here. Yeah. I would also point out Salt Lake City has a booming tech scene. That's true. So the nerd population, I mean, there already probably was one. I mean, it's Mormon country here, but I would assume it's exploding there right now. And that might be one of the things that's contributing. That's that's certainly possible. And, you know, going back to the fact that actors and stuff like that, I know for a fact that Salt Lake City gets the, you know, Stephen Amell's, the, the Stan Lee's and so on and so forth to make the appearance there because, you know, they can pull them in and they can still get people to, you know, buy their extra tickets on top of tickets and so on and so forth. I think they have a very wealthy con runner as mm, well. That's um, him. Yeah. So, yeah, when you yeah, a lot have of money to, to start. Yeah, you don't have to make that kind of money to start. You can afford to take a loss for the first several years while mm-hmm. you're getting established. That makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah. And it was. I think it was a, a starving region. There mm-hmm. wasn't a lot going on. So once they opened it up, in our hometown of Grand Rapids, Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, the Grand Rapids Comic Con has just <laughs> been exploding over the last several years. Yeah, no, I, I've, heard, I've heard you guys comment on, on just how much bigger it's, it's been getting. It's yeah. amazing. You know, the first year they had lines going out into the parking lot. They wow. had to shut it down because of fire code. The second year they moved to a bigger venue. Same thing happened. By the third year they were in the largest convention center on the west coast of Michigan. Wow. And that's not Nothing. Oh yeah, New Yorkers. <laughs> well, We've yeah. got largeish things too. Hey, well, Large ish. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I mean, even even that part of the country. I mean, come on, McCormick Place in, yes. in Chicago yeah. is, yep. is a huge ass convention yeah, let's, center. Let's let's just clear this up. We as much as we love New York, the Javits Center is small and it's crap. Oh, okay, yeah. let a, we're. I'm not even going to argue this. I know it sucks. Yeah, okay. No. I mean, like <laughs> having the the greatest thing that happened at a Javits Center in the past. 
forever is that Hudson Yards station opened up and you no longer have to yeah. walk your ass all the way across Manhattan to get to it. Also, people will actually spend money now, whereas they were very frugal because they didn't want to carry that yeah. much back to and, the and, and ex- An excellent point. Yeah, no, yeah, that but, made a huge difference. Yeah, because we, I, our, our profits literally doubled. Wow. The year that the seven line opened. Yeah, and I mean, you were commenting to me earlier that this Thursday could have been a Friday at some yeah. other cons. It was it was a solid day of business. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the point I was making is that there are, and it's easy to forget, I think, when we're so deep in the industry. Mm-hmm. But there are whole regions of this country that are completely starved for this kind of content. Oh, yeah. It's just not happening. The the desire is there, the mm-hmm. interest is there, but there's nowhere for them to go. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I'm glad that things like Heroes Con exist, actually. Yeah. I mean, that are that are sort of filling the gap in, in, in that area. But, but I know, you know Heroes needs the support because yeah. that's exactly the kind of show that's struggling mm-hmm. right now because they want to be about comics and art and creators. Right. And it's a lot harder to draw in the bodies. They they do a great job. Yeah. Heroes puts on a hell of a show. I, I've yet to hear one negative thing about. Heroes, oh yeah, so. and and wonderful people. We admire yeah. everybody who works there. Right. We love being there. Yeah. But it's the kind of show that could have trouble if the pendulum swings too far to the side of pure film entertainment. Right. The difficulty with Heroes is that even there's other little comic cons out there or mid-sized comic shows Uh because they do bring in stars the perception becomes that Heroes Con is a specialty show, maybe an art show, Mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. But then these other shows, that's the real comic con and so trying to get people to understand what a comic con is is and what actually defines one well, is I, the thing that we're kind of working out right now. Yeah, in that culture. definition is changing right now underneath us. The definition is changing, just like yeah. the definition of geek was changing over the last couple decades, just like the definition of this whole culture has changed in the minds of so many people from what it was when it was basically just the comic book guy on The Simpsons yeah. to where now... All the stuff that would have gotten me beat in school would make me super popular today. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. I mean, you can you can thank the Marvel movies for that, and you can I guess thank the DC movies if you really want to. But I, I'd rather DC TV. Yeah, DC TV. That's better. You can thank the animated stuff. You can thank all the all these you know different varieties of uh, of things. The video games have helped. Well, you can thank yeah. the goodwill of very popular and very out and proud nerds yeah. out there. You know, right. guys like your Patton Oswalt's. Who, yeah are just popular comedians who happen to also be very upfront about right. the things they like. And just in general, us... The culture. The culture, the, the millennial culture is much more open and accepting mm-hmm. than those that came before us. We don't have that cynical, bitter streak that Gen X was so defined <laughs> by. Yeah. And so as we come more and more into power, we are less and less interested in raising these division walls between the different groups and deciding who is okay and who is not okay. We are the world, we are the children. Well, I mean, the internet definitely had a big part to play by making nerds, geeks, whatever, aware of other people who shared the same interest. I'll always remember a quote from Entertainment Weekly, like 1995, and they said that, you know, thousands of years from now when our civilization has crumbled into dust, future archaeologists will, like, will you know, look at artifacts from this time and conclude that the internet was invented solely to talk about Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) And I definitely feel like, you know, I I love Tumblr because I can just go, like, talk about nerdy things. I mean, nerdy things and social justice, uh, 
you know, I, I talk about the Tumblr heads, they're crazy in some aspects, but I love the passion that you can find on places like that. And yeah. the thing is now that you can say, hey, yeah, I really like this one obscure Japanese anime, and here's a thousand other people that like it, you can't shame me because you're shaming thousands of people now oh yeah yeah and 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 i mean the, the other part of part of it is is that you two would not be sitting on this couch right now if no. not for the internet you yeah, know because no. discovering comic geek speak and then discovering all the other things discovering who brent casino is hi brent's up uh <laughs> you know brent? yeah but you know i mean like it, it's a cascade of events that yeah. would not happen had the internet not opened up my mind to the fact that there are like-minded people out there yeah. who share very similar interests well, and we wouldn't be here uh in the larger sense either yeah. because the internet has made our job possible absolutely uh, self-publishing is a completely different beast today yeah. than it was in the 90s when you actually had to run your own little print company yeah. you know I was, it, I was talking to an artist today that lives in orlando and you know the, the writer vito dos Santos is, is in pittsburgh yeah you know, it's, 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 we can do what we do cheaper than it ever would have been before and we have access to an audience that is broader than it ever would have been before yeah absolutely the, the other thing I wanted to touch on, too, is I, I find it interesting how there are more and more, I'd say, U.S.-style conventions opening up across the pond now. People um, want us to make money. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it, I think it's really fascinating to me that the model, the actual model of the U.S. cons seems to be Wait, broadening. What makes you think they didn't have that before? I feel like the idea of the... The Comic-Con with the actors and, and included and stuff like that. I don't think it's I don't think it's a matter of being like, okay, U.S. cons are doing really well. We want to do something like that. So much as it's, we talk about the internet. So now you have people in like Malaysia who know, who, who might know who Robert Kirkman is and be like, we totally want to see this guy. Make this happen. You know, that, that you know, might even ask, like Jamal has gone to, you know, like, what did, where did he go? Venezuela? Yeah. I forget. Yeah, like he's gone to south america he's gone to europe and I mean, yeah that wouldn't have been possible for the internet i don't think because like now you can kind of spread knowledge of like smaller artists but you know that's one thing i'm thinking of is they're now aware of american style guests but there's also that there's so much money going in the cons in general now they can now afford to fly in those guests because i i follow a guy on uh on tumblr uh adi fitri I've actually seen him reference around. I would think it's funny every time I see it because he doesn't have a lot of followers, but he does really great art. He does a lot of, I found him because he did a lot of great New Mutants art, but he is in, I believe it's Malaysia. It's either Malaysia or Indonesia. I apologize. If, you know, if someone knows, you know, it's not that I don't care. It's just, I don't remember offhand. And sometimes he posts pictures from cons and it definitely like, I get the sense that they've always had these style of cons but they've never been able to get like american style guests they basically they had to settle for the local scene and they're very proud of their local scene but this goes into a bigger thing about globalization and the predominance of western culture all across the world it's like that's that's the end goal it's like you want to get you know you want to get the robert downey jr because he was in the iron man movies (laughs) you know everybody else's culture (laughs) yeah our culture matters more (laughs) (laughs) yeah rick Rick flair was at the con too actually really yeah Uh i thought i saw awfully large limousine Styling and profiling. Oh man, dealing, my, my favorite kiss stealing. <laughs> my favorite part was that there was a sign saying "Ric Flair's line here." Woo. 
Nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Oh, God, that takes me back to the days you could look up in the stands, and there'd be a whole row of people, and the first person in the row had a W, and then everybody else was holding an O all the way across the line. Yep. Oh, good times. Oh, man. So what do you feel is the ceiling for the average fan when it comes to paying for a comic convention? Because, I mean, like, just just like the price of comics seems to be going up and up and up, as I mentioned earlier with the $80 frickin' you know star trek con like what do you feel is the is the ceiling that like if we go any further than that people are going to have to rethink whether they go for all three days or whatever i think that it is relative Mm -hmm. i think that there is a perception of value attached to the attractions at the con Mm -hmm. people would be willing to shell out a lot more for something like the star trek con when there's going to be everybody you could possibly want to see in one place there's a larger perceived value to that Mm -hmm. so it's difficult to say what a ceiling might be okay um because it's not just going to be one number yeah depends on the economy too i think too you have to consider again Who's your Uber fans? Who's your average fan? And I think your average fan, if you're talking, again, about your general people and family, you're probably looking at somewhere around $50 for a day is your top tier. And that's not even sweet. That's still, I think, hard to swing for a lot of people. Again, Mm -hmm. if you're paying for kids, if you're paying for, you know, your teenagers or whatever to go. Right. So that is on the high end. If you go above that, you know, you're saying for two people, it's going to be for one day, $120. It's very hard to get them to want to do that. I I really think it depends on what kind of experience you can offer. Because here's the thing. You can buy concert tickets that cost at minimum $50. At most, you might pay like two or three grand. People will pay $1,000 to see Lady Gaga. Oh, yeah. So I don't think there is really we're going to see the top tier of like cons. We're not going to have see people balking just because it hits like a hundred dollars a day. Yeah. It comes down to whether or not these normal people. Let's say it's just definitely the normal people. Anybody who's been going to cons for years is immediately going to be like, "What is wrong with you?" Like yeah. you and the eighty dollars going you. to the con. Yeah. But normal people would be like, "Well, I paid a hundred dollars to go see Kendrick Lamar, so I don't sure. see an issue here. I yeah. paid, you know, sixty dollars to go see the Yankees for three hours." Yeah, or you know, or similarly, like you know, I paid sixty dollars to go to a, a a beer festival and drink right. all this beer. You know, like it all depends on. What your interests are, and look at the difference in terms of access that mm. a convention provides. Yeah. If you pay money to go watch the Mets play, you're a sad, <laughs> sad, <laughs> sad person. Ah, um, uh, the Giants well, kicked their ass yesterday. Let's just say yeah. they're on a they're on a streak. Yeah, uh, God has shined down upon them. Uh-huh. Um, they're <laughs> all they're all playing with bats that were made from wood <laughs> of trees that were struck by lightning. <laughs> Samson Every bats. Every one of them. Homer, um, Homer's magic bat. Best case scenario, they play a hell of a game. Uh-huh. You don't meet the Mets. Yeah. You know, you, you pay $1,000 to see Lady Gaga, you don't shake the woman's hand. You do step right up and greet the Mets, though. So that's that's <sighs> you you set you set me in New York. You, you set me up for that. I'm sorry. I, I pitched yeah. it right across the plate, <laughs> and, and you hit it. Yes, so, I did. Like yes. a Yankees fan. Uh-huh. Fair enough. Um, but so, what's it going to take for a con to say no to the demands of of an actor or an actress? That's the question. <laughs> 
What is it going to take? It's, oh, well, we're talking about how culture is fragmenting, right? And there's a gazillion shows out there and tons of movies. I don't think that's happening anytime soon, if at all, because eventually a con can be like, hey, for that $40,000 that you're charging us, we could go and get three people Mm -hmm. for $40,000. That'll make just as many as people happy. Like there's, it's so far, it's not, you're not fighting over a limited pool of talent anymore. As long as like there are new shows coming out that people like, or long running shows add new characters or, you know, and have, you know, are successful, you'll be fine. Like, Game of Thrones, people are going to be milking that for ages. Oh you know, Star look at Star Trek is the best example of a franchise that has just milked the hell out of like every star. That yeah. and Star Wars. Plus, I'd love to see DJ Hodor doing a set. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I love to. I love the oh, fact. Yeah. I love the fact that he's a World of Warcraft playing DJ. Like that. That is my favorite favorite thing. It's kind of amazing. It's yeah. kind of amazing. And and the beauty is no matter how late you show up to the set, you can always get in because they hold, hold the, door. the door. But don't uh, oh, Yay! Sad. Yay! <laughs> yay! I made funny times. <laughs> well, I what, what I what I'll what I'll say is definitely along the lines of that is that yeah, with with the the ever flowing sci-fi and fantasy genre shows that are there you could make the decision to say you know what i don't think i'm gonna pay george decay for this show you know you know because he's asking for too much i mean that's just a perfect example of that right? sure. it doesn't have you've to be got george more decay. options right you've exactly more, and i think that is going to have a controlling power over how high these rates can get right because ultimately you know that if you overcharge you're just not going to get any responses anymore yeah so you know, we'll we'll see where that ceiling winds up being, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to affect the conventions too much. It's just going to mean certain stars are only going to show up a very limited amount of time. And then there's conventions that promise stars and then don't actually wind up paying them what they say they're going to get. Wizard! Or who promised stars and the star was never actually attached to show up in the first place. That is true, yes, which has happened multiple times as well. I remember... Oh, gosh, I'm sorry, they cancelled at the last minute. Yeah. Golly. Well, there was was a show, uh, it wasn't even a wizard show, Comp. Like, there there was a show not too long ago... I think it was somewhere in Texas, if I remember correctly, where they were supposed to have a Sons of Anarchy reunion. And I remember, yeah, they (laughs) they wound up not. I I think they. I don't even think they wound up giving them the hotel rooms that they were promised. And like all of a sudden, all contact to the runners of the show just like fizzled out. And uh, I believe Charlie Hunnam wound up making a deal with another show to honor the autograph sessions that were supposed to happen at wow. that show won't, to fill the, you know, fill, fill what was supposed to go on. Won't Ron Perlman, like, not even talk about that show when he's at conventions? Really? Like, I, I heard yeah, a story no, that he was doing one of those Q&A sessions uh-huh. at an Emerald City. Yeah. And somebody asked about that show and he, mm-hmm. he, he said he wasn't going to talk about it. Really? Wow. Like he he uh, made a couple he comments about this. it, but he was okay. he was not he, going to. To my knowledge, he hated the experience. I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to listen to the WTF with Mark Maron that aired a, a week or two ago and see whether or not that comes up because, yeah, uh, yeah that, that'd be fascinating to me. But there are still people that, you know, relate to that show and that I guess there were actors who had a better experience than, than Ron Perlman did. Oh, that, that show definitely appeals to a certain type of crowd. Like, the members of my family who love The Sopranos and who 
love The Walking Dead, right. actually. Yeah. I just wanted to make a note what you say about Charlie Hunnam trying to arrange the autograph sessions mm-hmm. that at no, in no way do we begrudge the actors for trying oh, to make bank on yeah. this. Like, yeah. I have absolutely no problem. If they can get paid for it, mm-hmm. that's fine. Like, yeah. you never begrudge people for taking money they're offered. It's just, it just, you know, I mean, it's just exactly what I said. It's that it's going to take a con reaching a, a limit, reaching a yeah. peak and saying no to a specific person where we know what exactly the limit is for getting people. That's that's I, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. No, that's that's fine. I just yeah. wanted to make that because I remember getting into like not fights, but like even after this article came out and I'm like, no one here is actually mad at the actors for yeah. making this money. I'm not. You know, I mean, again, the article pointed out that it used to be stigma. If you were doing shows, it's because you were at the bottom of the barrel. And those people were doing those shows because they were not making money otherwise. Yeah. And plus, and plus, I'll point out that, I mean, it, it is people like Stephen Amell who created his own agency, as was brought up in the, in the article, yeah. to ensure that these actors were getting what they deserve. And there's people within the industry that... Are even to this day a little a little upset at Stephen Amell for doing this, but at the same time they're getting better deals now than they would have yeah. gotten from elsewhere. The, the man has the heart of a true champion. Yeah, he he's, does. He does. He's. I have not a, not a single bad word to say about him. Yeah, I don't see why. And he does a salmon ladder better than anybody. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> well, I was gonna. The thing is, like when I read that article, what I thought back talking about Stephen Amell is the that New Jersey fan fest that got snowed mm, in. Mm, yes. And yes. Stephen Amell posted to his Facebook page, like the Facebook live of him pushing the car out of the snow. Yes. And then like John Barrowman's page was like videos of him and Stephen Amell hanging out in the hotel restaurant because the con was canceled at that point. Yeah. And the thing is, yeah, like I guess saying, I don't begrudge them because they're genuinely good people. It was like, hey, the con's canceled, but all these people are stuck here. Let's just go have some fun. And they paid for everybody's dinners yeah. in the restaurant. Like this is a thing where they're supposed to be making money, but they still genuinely care about the fans. Yeah. Plus, I could see uh, John Barrowman dressed as Zap Brannigan for the rest of my life. Like <laughs> that, that man is a goddamn that, treasure. That wasn't fan fest. No, I know that. I'm, I'm talking about in general. Fan, yeah. However, that fest, that New Jersey fest, does have John Barrowman and I think it was Stephen Amell singing "Let It Go." Yes, that was that show. So I, I That's think all the internet. I, I think I think we've uh, we've gone on for about an hour on this. Uh, any any final thoughts uh, that either of you folks want to bring up on the subject? Just that I am surprised that four comic-engaged nerd types could talk for an hour about shifting trends in the industry and not really go negative. Yeah. You know, it's it. we're curious to see where this goes, what larger impact this winds up having, but yeah. I don't see a reason to assume it has to be a bad thing. Yeah. It's just going to be different. Right. And we'll, we'll see what that different looks like. Yeah, all, all shows have their place. Uh, as long as people continue to go to them. And ultimately, anything that is bringing more people into the convention scene, more attendees into the convention scene, is creating more opportunity for people like Comfort and I who are just... You know, trying to tell our stories. Yeah, uh, it, 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 and you know, just to go negative for a minute, except for wizard shows, which are county fairs. Okay, uh, <laughs> <laughs> ah, they're carnies. Yeah. Ah, they're carnies. <laughs> do, 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 do. Step right up. Get on the ride. <laughs> Company. Final thoughts. I think honestly, it's just something that I'm always saying to my fellow comic fans is that as an industry. As fans, as people who love comics, it's our duty to find a way to not just get people into like the shows and stuff, 
but the actual reading. Because when the shows go away or the movies or whatever, and they will, mm-hmm. you're going to be left with the original things, which was just the books. Right. And so if there isn't really a readership to fall back on, you're going to lose a lot of an industry. So, you know, it's all up to all of us to make sure that side of it continues. Yeah, I mean, the industry is small enough as it is exactly. already. It, it, it could just get even smaller. Yeah, the perception is that it's very large because of these movies and television shows, but it yeah. really isn't. No. And, uh, you know, a lot of shops and stuff like that are hurting. Like, you know, even, you know, fans of ours have been reading books uh for years we're like okay yeah well you need if you can please pre-order our next volume of our book and they're like well what's pre-ordering how does that work Mm -hmm. do i go to a comic shop i don't know like those things are so foreign to even the people who would consider themselves big fans if you're aware of that, you need to share that knowledge. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I'm comic comic sales have actually gone up slightly over the past couple of years, but it is still a very small industry. Yeah. Oh yeah, I have a, I have a lot of wrap up thoughts yeah. here. One, you're talking about how the original source material will always be there, even after the movies and TV shows go away. And a perfect example of that are the Lord of the Rings movies. Totally. Like we all love those movies; they were a joy to watch. But now it's been. 15 plus years well it's been 15 13 to 15 years and what kind of impact have they really made on the industry what we got instead were like three crappy hobbit movies (laughs) but the thing is that the fandom the lord of the rings the token fandom is still there they will always be there you'll always have stephen colbert and and others like him just like championing that cause so that's not something i'm particularly worried about if we wanted if you want me to go back to something that could be negative is that the the amount of money to be made from shows means more shows and that can have a lot of bad backlash mm-hmm. like people putting on fly by night shows oh. that's a problem we've just mentioned yeah. that the the people who claim they're going to have these guests and don't actually book them because they know it's easy money extra hour in the ball pit oh yeah dashcon that was that was great yeah yeah well we'll, we'll, we'll i mean i would you know what uh, in the show notes just yeah. link to that whole debacle sure. rather than getting off track onto yeah. that but, I mean, I do worry, and, I mean, the thing is you might have an overexpansion of cons. Like, if an area gets oversaturated, some of the cons are going to eat them, like eat each other up. And that's not going to be great, at least because of what we said, that with all of the movies and TV coming out, there's always going to be enough guests, I feel like. Yeah. So that might – that'll be another check on the price things. Uh, or it could be – uh, disastrous in the other way, like you end up with bidding wars, mm-hmm. which could, you know, but... Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't even think of that. Yeah, cons- considering how many conventions happen on the same weekend, yeah. like we were talking about with, with Shatner earlier, like, I mean, you know, a lot of these shows happen at the same time. I could imagine, like, say, like, a show on the West Coast and a show on the East Coast having a bidding war over who gets to get a big, you know, Arrow celebrity or whatnot. There's... Some of that has happened in the past. There, ha- there has been some of that kind of venom, but it, it is fairly rare because yeah. for as big as these shows get, mm-hmm. there aren't that many people running them, and right. most of them know each other. Yeah, and even if there's, if, even if there's been double booking, like usually they just like they resolve it and they figure out who's going to go to what. Right, because it doesn't benefit anybody. Yeah, totally. Um, they know if they pick a fight and they lose that fight. Yeah. They stand to lose a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, and if you create bad blood in what is a fairly small circle of owners, mm-hmm. uh, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Oh, yeah. You can create... 
problems for yourself you didn't used to have. So usually it's not in their best interest. Now the question is, do they all realize it's not in their best mm. interest? And maybe not. I mean, Ohio was having for years oh, a, a three-way war over who was going to be the Comic-Con in Ohio. It happened in Minnesota as well, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, and everybody remembers when Wizard tried to take over New York. Yeah, no, and we've we've covered we 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 covered that on on, on comic timing as well. The uh, the time that Wizard tried to schedule Big Apple Con for the same weekend as New York Comic Con, and shockingly they folded and changed their mind. You know, not soon after making that lovely decision. I regret this immediately. <laughs> yeah, immediately. Yeah. Seriously. So yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a there's a time and a place for for many different types of conventions, and I believe there's a time and a place to have whoever you want at said convention. I'm more curious if cons will continue to evolve in the future. Because mm. when we were talking about other countries, you know, doing more American-style cons, and and the thing is, I think they were just doing their style of cons. There wasn't an American about it. But then you look at Japan, mm. and I think about Comiket, and Comiket is like half a million people. Yeah. It takes over the biggest convention center, the Mahori Mahori Messe. I, I somebody I'm getting I'm mangling that <laughs> Mahori Messe. I think it is called. And the thing, the big thing about Comicat that sticks out to me is that it's free. Yeah, they can book the largest hall. They can get half a million people, and it's. I think they're paying for it mostly just through the table sales. Damn. But when you when you're you're paying for access to a half a million people, that's yeah. not. I don't know how much the tables cost, but I'm sure it's worth it. Yeah, I, I'd also. I mean, I know it's, I know it's not free, but I know that Reed has a show in Singapore that they started not too long ago. So you know, talking about expansion and you know that sort of stuff. All right. I mean, I think I think we've basically yeah. talked about what we need to talk about here. So at this point, hey, you guys have a book that's coming out soon in in, in in the diamond. Speaking of pre-orders, <laughs> yeah, the Unique's Volume 2 is up for pre-order right now, releasing right around Christmas, everybody, just in time. Perfect stocking stuffer for any of your loved ones. <laughs> volume 1 is being resolicited as well, so if you need to catch up with the hottest superhero comics made by people named Comfort and Adam, <laughs> um, the Unique's is the place to go. Uh, and Uniques, for those who don't know what it is, it's sort of like Teen Titans if it was an HBO series. So that's the way to think of it. And you can find uh, more if you go to, say, our uh, website of comfortandadam.com. Follow me on Facebook. You can't necessarily follow Adam because Adam... fuck Facebook. <laughs> yep, that's right. But we're on Twitter and everything like that, and we'll be talking about that and all our other adventures. Hey, jump on our Instagram, and you can see all the sketches we do all weekend. Uh, that's right. Things. Indeed, and also random photos of you eating food. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be Instagram if we didn't take unnecessary pictures of food and cats. Amen to that. You guys are a featured item in Diamond. We are indeed. Check us out. Diamond likes us. We've been spotlighted. Hells yeah. We're spotlighted and featured, I think, every time we're in there, but... Again, we work hard to get our numbers up. So, like I said, Mm -hmm. pre-ordering, 
super important. Yes. So yes. If you're somebody who cares about independence, if you want to support us, if there's other creators you like, admire, mm-hmm. uh, want to support, pre-orders are the single best way to do it. If we don't get those pre-order numbers, the books don't come out. It's right. that simple. And as a general reminder, Chris and I edit the books, so please buy them. All right. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, Chris, you want to let anybody know where they can find you? Things things for me to pimp. Uh, you can finally find me on pretty much any social media at, at Lamping. So Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. I don't upload to YouTube, but I have a YouTube. I have a Flickr account even. But yeah, just mostly mostly Twitter and Tumblr. Also, uh, at Chris Nautis on, on uh, Twitter, if you actually want to do business, business, business numbers. Is this working? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can find my work on Engadget.com. You know, we've been covering Google and Oculus all week, and I may or may not have pieces from New York Comic Con. Keep a lookout for that, and, and, and I'll usually link those on the old Twitter. Oh, yeah. Because I'm the weirdo. Because I'm the weirdo with the two Twitter accounts. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, and this episode was long enough that it's actually just going to be its own episode of Comic Timing, so this is just going to as an episode. So I will let you guys know that I was actually on the Sliders cast not too long ago, uh, talking about, yes, Sliders. Uh, it was episode uh, 301, which was uh, Double Cross, uh, one of the uh, best episodes of the show, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah, that episode just came out about a week ago as I'm recording this. So you can find the Sliders cast on a- any of your podcast aggregators, you know, either Android or iTunes or whatnot, and listen to that episode and hear me talk about a show that aired in the 90s. So there you go. Uh, yeah. Uh, commentiming at gmail.com is the email address. Problem is the Comics Podcast Network over comicspodcast.com and the League of Comic Book Podcasts over comicnoise.com slash league. Uh, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash comic timing and find Brent in Orlando. So for Adam and Comfort yet again, yay! And Chris, yay! Yeah, also, Adifitri is Malaysian. I looked it up, I was right! Yay! And as always, there's always time for comics. Boom. Email address is comic timing at comic uh, at, at, at gmail.com. Uh, I don't know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> <laughs>